Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Good evening everyone. Tonight we as you know continue in 1 Samuel. But tonight we are at transition point. We are at a transition point in our narrative. Uh, we change gears as we will be introduced to our next character in the story. If you remember from the introduction, I shared with us that the the book of Samuel, which consists of both First and Second Samuel, will be an introduction to three characters. It will be Samuel the prophet. It will be Saul the people's king. And finally, David, the king of God's choosing. And so last week we saw from Pastor Mark, be careful what you wish for, be careful what you reject, be careful what you settle for, and be careful what you get. Tonight we'll ask the question, who let the donkeys out? Let's pray. And so God, as I come to your word here tonight, I do pray that you would Lead us by your spirit to understand the truths revealed in it. I pray that it would be a blessed time of fellowship, but I also pray that it would be a time of learning, learning something of your person, of your character, of your ways and of the way that you work. God, may we leave this place encouraged by you, that we get to know you through your word. So I pray that I would speak only that which is found in your scriptures, Lord, and I pray that you would lead me as I speak in Jesus name. Amen. So tonight, I'd encourage you to have your Bibles open. Uh, we won't have the passage on the screen intentionally so that we can just be looking at the text. So tonight, we're going to allow the text to, to lead us. We're going to be reading through chapter 9 and chapter 10. And so we will unpack the story as the narrative unfolds. So if you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. So to, tonight the title is Looking for Donkeys and Finding a Kingdom. Looking for Donkeys and Finding a Kingdom. So 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1 and 2 reads as follows. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish the son of Abiel, the son of Zeru, the son of Bechoreth, the son of Ephia, the son, sorry, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. Verse 2. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. For his, for his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. The first point I'd like us to consider tonight was Saul, the perfect image. Soul, the perfect image. If you had to paint a picture of royalty, if you had to paint a picture of a king, Saul would be that. This man was it before he was it. His name Saul meant asked. And it wasn't a coincidence that the people asked for a king from God and the king would be Saul who God would ordain in his wise counsel to be the king that God, the, the king that the people had asked for. So Saul was the perfect image. 
What I want us to already know in the beginning is that God was cooking. This is a phrase that we, that we all are familiar with. God here is cooking something. He had prepared Saul for the nation Israel even before they had demanded for a king from God. Now, something we see from our passage is Saul came from money and influence. The KJV reads, he was a mighty man of power. But listen to this. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. He wasn't just handsome, ladies and gentlemen. He was the most handsome man in the land. Saul would have appeared in GQ magazine. Saul would have appeared in Vogue. Saul would have appeared in U magazine in South Africa. Saul would have been so good looking, he would have appeared on all the ads. And in South Africa, he probably was going to be on a soapy, Uzalo, Generations, you name it. Not only was he rich, not only was he handsome, But he was also taller than all the people in the land. Saul was the perfect image. He was a fitting image for a king. But we must ask ourselves a question. Why does the author start with with this sort of detail? Why does he go through these lens of describing Saul in this way? It was because the people wanted a picture of a king, but not necessarily the substance of it. You see, they had a king in God. They already had someone who was fighting their battles. They already had someone who would judge over them. But they said to Samuel, there shall be a king over us, that we may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. And so this command from the nation Israel, surely with this command from the nation Israel, surely Saul fits the image. Saul was the king that they asked for. Not only was, was he a, a, a visibly good-looking man, but we'll see from the beginning that he also was a man who was obedient to his own father. Sorry, my second point. God, the sovereign planner. The rest of chapter 9 is really us sitting in the classroom of the providence of God. God, the sovereign planner, the beauty of providence in display. Consider verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's, sorry, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of your young men with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of, Sh- of Shalisha, but they, were not to, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they did not find them there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them. You see, this was a normal life event in the life of Saul. This probably was not fir- Saul's first rodeo, looking for his father's livestock, And so he goes looking for the donkeys. And so as he was looking, it says he looked there, he looked there. I just thought of the song, and nothing. There was nothing. They didn't find him. There was nothing. There's a translation for the song on the board there. Some commentators concluded that this hunt took three days. 
And as Saul was hunting for these donkeys, Saul even becomes concerned. And this is what he says. He gets concerned for his father. When they had come to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servants who was with them, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. Now it's important for us to pause at this point and ask ask ourselves a question about the location of these men. In their pursuit, they found themselves in the land of Zuth. Who was Zuth? Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. So just a few pages back. It reads, there was a man, there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of, Je- of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephratite. So Zuf was Samuel's great times four grandfather. So the pursuit of donkeys landed, the, landed these men in Saul's father's land. Is this coincidence? No, it's providence. You see, Saul would say to his servant, we've, we've been at this for a while. We probably should go back for our lives matter more to our father than the lives of these donkeys. But the adamant servant remembers something. The servant says to Saul, in the land of Zuf, which is Samuel's, which is Samuel's territory, he says this, Behold, there is a, lamb, a, a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. And all he says comes true. So now, let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. There's something important even here about the testimony of Saul, of of Samuel. What a testimony. What was said about Samuel earlier in the book of 1 Samuel, it seems to be coming to fruition even in his old age. Do you remember in chapter 2 verse 26 when it said, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Or in chapter 3, verse 19, when it said, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Samuel's reputation was sound. He was now an old man of God, honored by the people of God for his faithfulness and his youthfulness for God. Now Saul's servant had a sense of confidence that, hey, if we ask this man of God, he could possibly help us to find the donkeys. But it's, there's something interesting that we must note. There is something visible here that, that the author is, is telling us about the relationship of Saul and God. Saul knew nothing of this prophet. He did not know the prophet. He did not know this man who had spiritual influence in the land. I mean, if you think about it, all of Israel would have heard of Samuel, but not Saul. There's reason to believe that Saul did not go often to God through the prophet Samuel. The only knowledge these men had of Samuel was secondhand knowledge. And so two things of application that I want to pause here and ask questions. One, what is your witness like to outsiders? 
You see, to outsiders, Samuel was a man who was revered of great honor. He was a man faithful to God. The question tonight is, what is your testimony or what is your witness like towards outsiders? You see, we know you. We know that you attend the evening service, or maybe you're a binger and you attend both the AM and the PM. We know that you serve on the worship team. We know that you serve in the kitchen in Awana in Sunday school. But are you the same Christian in the world that you are in here? Or are you only a Christian in here and the world would be shocked to find out that you even go to church? Or are you simply the guy or girl who just goes with the flow? You love what people love and you hate what people hate. You have no witness for God amongst outsiders. Or are you a person that people respect, that people honor for being a child of God because you cling to your convictions? You are a person of integrity and no compromise. You are a person who proclaims Jesus with every opportunity that you get and your manner of life is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Does that describe you? In your workplace, knowing that there's a child of God present at school, at, at, at university, wherever it is, knowing that there's a child of God present, what is the witness of that child of God there? Number two, though these men weren't spiritual, there is something that they did which is good in principle. They sought counsel. They sought the counsel of the man of God. They consulted the man of God regarding a present life crisis. You see, we think of lost donkeys and it's like, ah, come on, James. But this is a big deal. This to them was a big deal. They were, this was a crisis. The father had sent them out. They've been looking for donkeys for three days. And so they now pause and say, hey, maybe let's try this man of God. Now, disclaimer, before I say what I'm about to say here at Central, we, wrote, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. So you don't have to call me or Pastor Isaac or any of the other pastors, Papa or even men of God. Your own, your own prayers enter into the very throne room of grace without us. Praise be to the work of God on the cross. However, the elders here at Central Baptist Church have been called by God with the responsibility to shepherd the flock which you so happen to be amongst. God has placed us here as pastors and elders to feed and to protect the flock. We talk often as pastors that sometimes people call us when things are bad, bad. When the pawpaw has already hit the fan, when the water is in the house, they've already made all the decisions and now they're in a big jam. Hey, believer, it's okay to seek counsel. It's okay to go and show your concern for your soul and seek the right counsel from the right people. Seek counsel from the elders that God has called to shepherd your soul. Listen to this by uh, Matthew Henry. He says, We sensibly feel worldly losses and bestow much pains to make them up. But how little do we attempt and how soon are we weary in seeking the salvation of our souls? 
if ministers could tell men how to secure their property or to get wealth, they would be more consulted and honored than they are now. Though employed in teaching them how to escape eternal misery and to obtain eternal life, most people would rather be told their fortune than their duty. Let's go back to our story, verse 7. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no, pre- there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here I have with me a quarter of a sickle of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell, to tell us our way. Verse 9, Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. That is literally a side note. As the author was writing this, he just paused and said, Oh, by the way, formerly in Israel. Very interesting. Verse 10, and Saul said to his servant, well, um, well said, come let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Now it's unfortunate that verse 7 has been used as a proof text by the so-called men of God today to abuse the people of God. This is not a text to prove that Samuel was charging people to give prophecies. Samuel didn't charge people to prophesy. It was simply a gesture. When people were going to see the prophet, it was simply a gesture of respect. It was common courtesy to carry a gift with you. But let's not lose track of our story. How is it that Saul's servant so happened to have a quarter of a shekel of silver? Again, God was cooking. He was working in the unknown and yet the mundane, the seemingly random and ordinary events like lost donkeys were carefully crafted occurrences of the will of God. Look at verse 10. And Saul said to his servant, well said, come, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was and they went up to the, to the hill So they went up the hill to the city. They met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? (laughs) Now, let's not quickly read over this. It's not every day that you get approached by a soul. You can imagine the giggles. You can imagine the clumsiness, the dropping of the buckets. You can imagine the whispers as they saw Saul and his servant in the distance. Can you see him? He's as handsome as they said he is. Tall, dark, and handsome, Choma. You couldn't miss this towering figure. You couldn't miss this tall glass of handsomeness. So it's no event that as we read this story, these young women see Saul and are willing to engage him. Verse 12, they answered, He is, behold, just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people 
for the people will not eat till he comes. Since he must bless the sacrifice, afterwards those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city, and they were entering the city. They saw Samuel coming toward them on his way to the high place. Saul was looking for donkeys, but God was sending him to Samuel. Did you pick it up? He is ahead of you. The sacrifice is today, coincidentally, the very same day that you are looking for Samuel. And finally, Samuel just happens to be headed your way. This was a God-ordained appointment. Verse 15 and 17 confirms it. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, verse 16, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. God had already unpacked the whole plan to Samuel before Samuel had met Saul. I will send to you, you shall anoint, he shall save my people from Philistine, and he, will, he it is who will restrain my people. The people thought that they needed to match the Philistines in the type of king they wanted. Remember who was in Philistine? Goliath. The Philistines had giants. So when they're thinking of a king, they are thinking of that image. And so friends, Saul would be the perfect candidate for this people. But we will learn in this narrative. As we continue. In 1 Samuel, we will learn that, friends, God does not need strong armies. He does not need valiant men to defeat nations. He is God. He uses people, and the people he uses are the people whose hearts are captured by him. The fact that he uses us, friends, is not because he needs us. It's because he chooses to. So tonight, who has your heart? Does God have your heart? Is your heart given to your flesh? Is your heart given to Satan or is your heart given to the world? Who has your heart? The Lord so desires to use people whose hearts are captured by him. See, as we go through life, we see life through tunnel vision. But God has 4K, in fact, more than 4K, HD, unlimited inch view of not just today, but of your eternity. But here's the encouragement. God isn't simply a bystander who is standing by the side as some believe. He isn't just sitting there eating popcorn as the events of your life unfold. He isn't just sitting watching as you are being battered and bruised by life. Or as the students will say, he isn't just watching as you're getting child by life. He is actively, he is intentionally, he is carefully seeing to it that his will for your life comes to pass. And praise God that that will for your life is good. And so we can sum up chapter 9 by these words penned by a commentator. Saul acted freely and according to his best judgment. 
But his three days journey and all connected with it, his lack of success, his desire to return, his servant's advice, his destitution of food, his servant's possession of a coin for a present, his meeting with young maidens going out to draw water, his presence in the city at a certain time were ordained by God to the attention of an end of which he had no conception. All these incidents and wanderings were only preparations and immediate causes by which God accomplished his design concerning Saul. So Saul's life was about to change. He was about to go from looking for donkeys to finding a kingdom. Consider verse 18. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and all your father's house? Samuel drops a huge hint to Saul, and Saul gets it. It was, all, it was on all of the nation Israel's lips. They desired a king, and Samuel is basically spilling the beans. That desired king is you, O Saul. Saul, you are the people's king. But Saul didn't expect it. Saul is probably thinking that here the prophet is playing a game on him. A king from the tribe of Benjamin? Nothing could be more improbable. They were still at that time recovering from the civil war that happened in Judges chapter 20. No ways could you choose a king from our tribe. But Samuel was a wise old prophet at this point. Samuel was a prophet who trusted the word of God. Samuel was a prophet who trusted the will of God. Note how he responds to the young man, verse 22. Then Samuel took Saul and his young men and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you, eat because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. Nothing helps you to, re- to relax like a home-cooked meal. Relax, my boy. Your donkeys are safe. You have a big day ahead of you. Saul was being prepared for a big role which, which carried with it even bigger responsibilities. The prophet honored Saul amongst his guests. He gave him a seat at the head of, a, of the table and gave him a special meal which he had set aside for him. And then Samuel called Saul onto the roof. Up, called Saul, called, sorry, and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose and both he and Samuel went, on, went, on, went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. 
And when he was passed on, stop here for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. Many commentators say that on the roof, in fact, other nations other say that when they were on the roof, they spoke. What do we think Samuel might have been saying to Saul? We can only speculate. But knowing the heart of this prophet, I, I believe there was something about the God of all creation. I believe there was something about the holiness of God. I, I believe there was something about the righteousness of God's judgment. There was something about the sovereignty of God. There was something about, hey, Saul, it is God who is setting you apart to be a leader for his people. Don't get it twisted. It is God's people that he is setting you apart to lead. I think there was something about, Saul, you need to honor this task. You need to be faithful in this task. You need to trust that God will be with you like he was with Moses, like he was with Joshua. But you must obey him and keep his statutes. And finally, my last point, we then see God, the anointer of kings. God, the anointer of kings. We come now to the climax of our story. The people have cried out for a king. But it's important for us to know that though the people had cried out for a king, there was no one who stood up and said, anoint me. There was no one who the people had said, why don't you anoint him to be king over us? Instead, it is interesting that the nation Israel, though they demanded a king, they left the choosing of that king to God. Some commentators even suggest that this was a historic moment where a people cry out for a king, but there's not even one person who is a candidate and there's not even one person who stands up and says, hey, choose me. It was God who would choose Saul. It was God who would anoint him king over the people. Chapter 10, verse 1. Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of the surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. If you remember from last week, Pastor Mark was clear that God was choosing here a king to teach the nation Israel. The lesson that is being taught to the nation Israel here is that they were religiously flamboyant, but they were dead in their hearts. They did not have their hearts' affections set toward God. And David would be the flip side of the coin. David would be the lesson from God to the people of the image of who God wants the nation to be. The a picture of who God wants to use. A person after his own heart. So God would use the same providential means that he used to connect Saul and Samuel to assure Saul that it was God who was in fact anointing him to be king. Samuel says to Saul, when you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb. Then you shall go on there further and you shall, you shall come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. 
After that you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where, you, where there is a garrison of Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high places with a harp, a tambourine, a flute, a lie, before them prophesying. Verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offering and sacrifice, and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you will do. Ordinary means of providence to show that this was the king of God, of God's choosing. But there's an interesting phrase in verse 6. Then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. You see, the spirit of God would come upon the king, but he did not come to dwell into Saul. You see, at this stage in God's history of redemption, he would, he would by his spirit not dwell in the hearts of men. Because God, by his spirit, would only take indwelling once the work of Christ has been accomplished on the cross. So he would come upon Saul, he would come upon him for specific purposes. It says he turned him into another man because he was becoming a vessel fit for God's use. So because Saul was being empowered by the Spirit, he could do the things that needed to be done. He could do, as Samuel suggests, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. So likewise, we today who have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, we today who have been empowered by the Spirit of God to Christ-likeness, the challenge to us is go about doing Do what needs to be done. You will find the will of God for your life in the process of being and in the process of doing what God has called you to do. So go and study. Go and work. Go and serve. Do all the things led by the Spirit in the Lord and you will find the will of God. God uses the mundane affairs of life to carry out his divine will in our history. Notice, two men, three men, a group of prophets, all these people were living their lives. They were simply going about their business and here we have God using them as instruments to carry out his will. But we must also be careful We must be careful that what I'm not saying is we should read into everything in our lives spiritually. For example, should I cut my hair? Well, three people said to me today, Jabu, you need to cut it out. Wow. God, three people said cut it out. I don't believe in coincidence, so it's providence, so God is telling me to cut my hair. No, that's exactly not what we're saying. But what I am saying is God in his providence works in the road to your workplace. That same road, that same route that you take. He works in the traffic. He works in that accident that just so happens to make you late for work. He works in that flat tire. He works in that guy in class who asked you about your relationship with Christ. He works in those moments where you forgot your keys. And when you went home, you found out you didn't switch off the stove. He works in the ordinary moments of our lives. Lives, he carries out his extraordinary will. 
So we must close. And so I want to close this chapter with Saul is finally presented as king. Verse 20, then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans and the clan of the Mitrites were taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than all the people from his shoulders upwards. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among the people. (laughs) Saul hid himself. This tall giant is hiding amongst stuff. He was embarrassed to be called to stage as a king. Friends, Saul started his kingdom right. He was not selfish. He was, he was not driven by greedy ambition for the crown or for the throne. He started well. But when they stood him up from hiding, he was this towering figure that was sticking out head and shoulders above everyone. Here, O Israel, is your king. Here is the one that you were crying for who will save you from all your surrounding enemies. And the people shouted, long live the king. So implications to close. Two things that we can take out of this story as, as I close and send us home. One. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Trust in the sovereignty of God. I hope you didn't miss it. The, uh, intentionally, I worked us through two chapters so that you could see the heart of this narrative, that the heart of man plans his ways, but it is the Lord who establishes his steps. Friends, rest in the sovereignty of God. Rest in the reality that all of life rests in the palm of God's almighty hand. Nothing catches God by surprise and nothing happens outside his will. So trust him. Encouraging words from Alistair Begg. We are not bobbing around on the sea of chance. We are not held in the grip of blind and deterministic forces. We are being schooled in the school of God's providence. And the good, the bad, the ugly, the foolish, the disastrous, the wise, the encouraging, the difficult, and the uncertain, all are brought underneath the sovereign control of a God who does all things well. For he who is the judge of all the earth, who will, as we sang in the psalm, judge his people in righteousness, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? This is our ultimate security. God is in control. Number two, kings and kingdoms are set up by God. Kings and kingdoms are set up by God. See, we, are, we have probably ran out of things to say and ways to complain about the government. We've probably had glimpses of hope. Things might be turning around, but quickly those glimpses are covered by clouds of darkness and despair, corruption and greed. 
but we need to consider the backdrop of where our government reigns. Our government reigns over a land where lust and fornication and adultery are celebrated in our country. Pride, greed, and thievery runs our land. Murder, anger, and drunkenness are our neighbors. And should I mention men with men doing that which is shameful? Calvin argued that a wicked king is the Lord's wrath upon the earth. A wicked king is the Lord's wrath upon the earth. So church, be encouraged. If God will allow for a wicked king to rise up, it will be him who will bring him down. They will all have to give an account before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They will have to give an account for the way that they led and they reigned over God's creation. But be reminded that earthly kings are to remind us that no king will ever stand up, no king will ever amount to King Jesus himself. And so it is right to pray for our government. It is right to ask God for good and religious leaders. Cry out to God that he may hear your cries, stand up and be counted as a good citizen when it's time to vote. But, church, our responsibility is to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel and pray for repentance. Pray that the souls of our land would be regenerated by the Spirit of God through the message of the gospel. Pray that the people would be so gripped by the fear of God that they would lead their lives in obedience and in the fear of Him and that they would shun what is evil. So tonight we saw that Saul went out looking for donkeys, but he found a kingdom because God was cooking. Let's pray. And so God, even tonight, it's not by chance that all of us are seated in this room to hear this message. And so God, I pray that you would encourage each and every one of us, God, of the reality of your sovereignty. I pray, Lord, as we've gone through this story and have considered, Lord, the, the anointing of King Saul, God, I pray that you would remind us that, God, we have the great King Jesus who is ruling and reigning over us. And so, God, as we have, Lord, the daily affairs of life unfold and, Lord, we meet the good, we meet the bad, we meet the ugly, God, I pray that we would be thinking of this wonderful doctrine of providence. That God, you work in the ordinary, you work in the mundane. God, to fulfill your will, which is good. And so God, I pray that we would be a people who leave this place trusting better in the will and the sovereignty of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.